man. How you doing? Hey, man. I'm fine. How about you? I'm great. Finally, this is the first episode in which I get to talk to someone face-to-face. Don't worry, we're still adhering to SOP rules. We're still <laughs> respecting the fact that COVID is still here, not touching. <laughs> we're still sitting one meter away from, e- uh, from each other, so no worries about that. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Bobby Rose. Welcome to the Music Talks podcast, and I'm here with my very, very good friend that I consider my go-to research buddy in the music department in UPM, Chan Long. Hi, my name is Chan Long, and look, it's it's my greatest pleasure to be uh, part of this uh, podcast, and I, I'm very very uh, like excited to do to, uh, to be talking with uh, with Bobby about uh, the topic that we are we are going to share uh, with you guys today. So, what are we going to be talking about today? <laughs> ah, that's a good question. So. I, I thought normally the host would bring out the, the, the question. <laughs> That's a very good point. So I just want to start off. Um, as I've explained to the listeners a lot of times that this podcast is mainly created for the purposes of allowing the juniors or people who don't really know what to do in their studies, after their studies. Yeah. So I've interviewed people like uh, our, our friends, our seniors. Uh, some of them teach in prisons, some of them do recording, some of them do performances, vocal performances. And last week I was talking to somebody who works very closely with a lot of different ensembles doing arrangement and compositions. Yeah. So the reason I want to talk to you is because you actually do music, ethnomusicology, sociology stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so tell me about that. What What is it? What's the title of your research? What's your study? And what's the full explanation of it? Just, yeah. So um, basically what I did for my final year project, it's actually a, a research that um, at first I, I started off, I started off from, from uh, having this question about how messages are being represented through a song. And then uh, slowly it, it, it evolves into, into what I did uh, in, in, for my research. So it, it's basically... Uh, how a construct message of a song changes through time. Because uh, I actually looked at a very popular song that once brought many, many controversies uh, with it. Um, and that song got everyone's attention back then when it was first released because it was so special and it was so raw in a sense. Actually, it's a... I would say a, a parody of some sort, and it has some very upfront messages, yet it contains many of the sarcasm inside with uh, in, inside the lyrics, and that's the thing where the song managed to capture many people's attention, especially among the younger ones, and it's been around eleven or twelve years since it was uh, it was first released, and the thing I want to see is how this song, how people understand about this song and what this song means uh, for the people through time. You know, back then maybe pe- uh, people see it as a very fresh kind of uh, genre, at least in, in Malaysia, to, to voice out what they, been, uh, they have been hiding deep in their heart. And 
right now, it, it, the, the meaning of the song for the people actually shifted from uh, something like, shifted from expressing uh, how they feel deep inside to the people go, going back to the song because they have something they want to express and this song is actually a landmark of change. It, it represents a landmark of change to the people. Uh, because at first, this song meant uh, the, the, the kind of message that it tries to, it was trying to, to express is it was asking for change. Mm. And right now, when there is a change that is happening, people would refer back to this song. Like they will listen to this song again as a way of like commemorate, uh, commemorating the changes that has been happening uh, lately, especially in the, in the country. So yeah, this is uh, what my research was about, and actually it, it amazes me a lot, uh, like seeing how the very drafted idea from the start changes to to what is it, uh, what it has become uh, in in the yeah. later stage of the of the research, and uh, being able to prove. Uh, the, to match the theories that I, I have been studying is uh, it's about the uh, the changes from in uh, Hall it, it's actually by uh, it's a theory by Stott Hall it's a shift from intentional representation to constructionist in, uh, uh, representation so it means the song itself it has an intention to a point the, the meaning of the song is being constructed through time different yeah differently through time and uh, I just gotta say to all you listeners out there we can't openly say the name of the song just for copyright infringement purposes and we yeah. want to try to avoid that yeah and I would just love to just talk shop here just park the topic right here and just you know spend five hours talking about this because we have yeah. <laughs> hours about your research yeah but yeah. you know that's not the topic yeah. of this podcast we can we can after this. Don't worry about it. <laughs> all right, all right. So I just wanted to find out what what did you like summarize for for all the listeners out there because we do want to know what you actually find from these kind of things. So actually, it's uh, conclusion of the research. Actually, it's it's it shows how people see a song and how the meaning the the discourse around the song. It's being constructed over time and, and the meaning shifted from A to a point uh, to, to later time, it becomes A plus B plus C plus B uh, plus D. So basically it has uh, different layers of meaning being added up to the song. So in order to un- properly understand the song, you have to look through the timeline of the, zo- the song's existence and along the timeline you will see how the background of the song changes and mm-hmm. how people change their view on the song and the, the what this song actually mean for the people it changes over time but is that more of a cultural thing are, are you talking about the same group of people because you did mention just now it's uh, the younger generation versus the old generation. So is it like the younger generation grew up with a different perspective, different uh, mindset, so they could have had a different uh, understanding of the song? 
Yes, correct. Mm. Because like maybe when a song has some very direct and uh, a little bit explicit lyrics uh, inside it, I, I gotta admit, uh, as a kid myself, when I first listened to the song, I I I thought, oh, this this song has some cool beat to it, and it was one of the very first uh, few songs that I actually listened to, containing vulgar uh, vulgar languages uh, in 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 a song. So it's something very new to me back then. But as time goes, the way I I understand this song changes over time, and Slowly, I start to appreciate the kind of effort that this song writer put into the uh, has placed into the lyrics writing, and the way he shaped the lyrics is actually very interesting because some of the lyrics used, if you are a non-Malaysian, uh, mm-hmm. uh, for example, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't understand some of the terms that are being used inside because it's a very local localized ling- language yeah mm. so it's, it's like uh, you need a shared code in order to understand properly understand the, the song yeah, yeah. In, in your personal perspective does it actually how could this be translated into a real world setting alright actually the way I see it is that I really hope that the readers of my research would slowly uh, understand that a song could have its meaning like the discourse about the music actually it would shift from about the music to outside of the music itself and maybe this could help people to understand that actually music itself is not as simple as or it's just lines of melodies Mm -hmm. And lines of lyrics that are being, like, very blatantly obvious and and direct. Uh, the for for songs like uh, this is America, for example, it has very many hidden meanings and like the the messages that uh, Charlie Gambino tries to express, but not in a very obvious way. So this could actually encourage people to look into songs of this kind of genre Mm -hmm. to give them more attention to it and and uh and and to not overlook the the kind of potential this 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 kind of uh music music could express yeah awesome and do you think that this is a very very pertinent topic to bring up for students undergoing their music their music programs if not at primary school if not in high school you know like taking SPM with music you know, do you think it's important to actually talk to students about not just okay for example a lot of students like undeniably they will go through Bach Beethoven Mozart yes. Tchaikovsky you know do you think it's important to at, at the top of my head talk about Tchaikovsky's music and how it actually uh relates to the patriotism of Russians. How his 1812 overture is not really a story of, I don't know, nationalism, but it's specifically a Russian fascism, for example. Is it yeah. actually important? To me? But, yeah, what do you think? Actually, the thing is, I 
start to notice that this kind of music, the, the, the example that I brought up just now, This Is America, <laughs> this kind of music actually existed for quite some time. And the reason why this uh, artist like doing this kind of music is because they have something that they want to express, but they don't feel like expressing it in a very direct way. Uh, so they, they have a while they have a message they want to express, they give them some very artistic value into, into this, this message so that it's not only about the message itself, but it, it, it's also the value of the musical elements that is, uh, together as a set with, uh, with a message, you know? Yeah, I, I, I know. This is that, um, me personally, I, I know how you really enjoy and appreciate lo-fi music. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to find that balance between song messages from the lyrics and the musical elements because lo-fi music doesn't have lyrics. Yeah. So is, is there still a message? In those um, non-verbal lyrics, so that's a that's actually a very interesting point because uh, the way I see music itself, because music is not a medium that strictly used only for for entertainment pur- purposes. It's it, it's an art. For example, uh, you have drawings or like just a work of art. You can go all the way from like just sketches or the magazine illustrations, mm-hmm. all the way until uh to like for example uh Da Vinci's uh Mona Lisa. Uh-huh. So art itself it has m- many ways of uh expression, and it depends on the level of of expression that you like you want to to put into it. And it gives different values. For example, uh, you, you don't really uh, see magazine illustrations being on 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 exhibitions and stuff like, uh, and and people put up the time to to go and dice, uh, delineate the <laughs> meaning behind the, the illustration. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that that actually uh, applies to music itself. You know, yeah. like some music they are the design just for like passive listening. For example. Mm-hmm. And, and some, some music that actually served active, uh, like, it, it's for active listening in order to, to properly understand, like, to appreciate the, the message or the, uh, the artistic value that has been put into crafting this particular music. Yeah. But when, <clears throat> that's the line that I'm trying to tread on because you say, it really makes sense about the, about the message, about the appreciation of it. But then up to the artistic value. So uh-huh. when you say artistic value or aesthetical values, that yeah, means yeah. it's on the... So how do you understand that some people call their pieces dexterity? What does that mean? All of me. But there's no melody. There's no words in there. It doesn't say dexterity. So, you know, and this is all Charlie Parker pieces, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. ornithology. But... <clears throat> How does this set of melodies, for him at least, translate as uh, the word dexterity, ornithology, uh, Donna Lee? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does he actually look at a person named Donna Lee and put, 
first thing he thinks about yeah so that's the challenge for it I would say and do you think maybe this is a quite a controversial topic but it's just open for debate would Malaysian students at least be appreciative of these kind of discussions because we we just had a conversation where uh, some students would just do things that their teachers or their lecturers would tell them to do yeah. with and they aren't allowed to ask about it yeah that's Yeah. So, do you think that they will actually put efforts into these kind of works to actually, like you said, uh, disseminate the information that is embedded within the work of arts? Or would they just take it as face value, no matter how hard you try to explain to them? Actually, uh, it, it's not only the kind of music, the, the, the genre of music that I mentioned earlier, but even for the classical music that used to, uh, we, we listen Uh, when we first, for example, started our our musical uh, lessons, mm-hmm. music lessons, we will almost always get exposed to to the classical music. But the thing is, we are not really taught to, uh, to to fully appreciate the background of the music itself. At least from 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 my experience and and from my observations, here in in Malaysia, the way music education is done is like oh we listen to a, a piece of music or like for example a, a piano piece we just listen to other people's playing and then we follow to the, the score and we try to uh, imitate imitate how the player the, the pianist has played in the recording and try to mimic the way they play <laughs> actually this is a a, a a debate that has been going on for the longest time ever like the the authenticity of a play uh, the interpretation of a, of a music is it important or should we say stay true to uh, the original piece mm-hmm. or is there actually uh, any origin like original originality to a piece of music because uh, we We know that there are no actual recordings of like, for example, Beethoven playing Moonlight Sonata yeah. back back uh, back then. You know, yeah. so the way that uh, we can re- uh, we can reliably interpret the the message is true. Uh, the, the the song the mu- the piece of music is true. The famous pianist playing, mm-hmm. or just by understanding the score. That this itself is actually already a a debate for the scholars. Yeah. Yeah. About uh, whether you need to stay as faithful as possible to the original piece, uh, music, or should you add on your interpretation into the into the score itself? But uh, this kind of mindset only started. Uh, started to root in 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 uh into me when uh when when I entered university, and the thing is, I realized that there is a problem in the music education here in Malaysia is that they put a lot of effort in preparing the student for performance, and not necessarily get them pre uh get their knowledge. You know, as well prepared as their performance readiness. You know, mm-hmm. so this might be a problem where kids who learn music 
they don't necessarily appreciate the value of uh, of music. Um, so 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 in my opinion, I, I I think that the problem now here in in music education is that uh, at least in, in Malaysia is that there's a lacking in in teaching of the music appreciation. Mm-hmm. We are we are mostly taught to be able to play a piece of music and go for an exam, get the cert, yeah. and then head on to the next level yeah. and like just try to get us climb as uh, as far up as possible, yeah. and that's it. You know, sometimes uh, we would even ask ourselves, like, what are we doing this for? Yeah. You know. It's not necessarily get us uh, ready for like performances or gigs. It's just for the sake of the cert. Yeah. You know, the, the, the cert itself is being seen as a more valuable thing mm. as, uh, as compared to uh, the performances that we do. Yeah, the knowledge, the, the goal becomes the certification itself rather than the knowledge you gain behind it, the artistry, the mic. Uh, mastery of this instrument or, or multiple instruments for that matter. Yes, being correct. To, yeah. And I actually, that was a good point that you made uh, about the music education and you even, thank you for even tapping into into your to your past life which is what I wanted to ask. Uh, yeah. When did you start? You said you started in university, right? Did it ever occur to you to think about these things in your primary school, in your high school? Or, or are you saying this based on your experience as well? Are you saying that you are one of those people? Which is not a problem because I feel like yeah. a lot of people, it happens to a lot of people and it takes people like us, you know, to, to actually step out of the system and realize, oh, this is a problem to 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 fix. So, actually, yeah, this is uh, based on my, my personal experience, but I do realize that when I entered uh, university and... I noticed um, actually among uh, among my peers, except for those who have taken diploma before entering uh, university for, for uh, bachelor's degree, mm-hmm. most of us actually are not really prepared. You know, we, we only have a very minimum knowledge, uh, amount of knowledge about the, let's say, the, the history of, of music. Mm-hmm. And unless you do your own research, Actually, we, it's it's not really being taught in the syllabus that we we have taken, like when we were uh, having our our music education back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that that's a problem. It's not part of the syllabus, and I noticed actually many of the of my peers who who, who are doing uh, music education right now. This this is not part of their their focus, and it's uh I would say this is not their fault, but. It's more like this is something that the parents expected, you know, like they, they expect the kids to be able to play uh, like fantasy impromptu. Yeah. Uh, like they, they expected their kids to be able to play this, this, this kind of music pieces, but whether they know uh, about Chopin and, and how, how he's unable to, to compo- uh, compose orchestra, eh? no, 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 symphonies, yeah. pieces, yeah. Like, like, this kind of knowledge are not really being being shared or being taught uh, explicitly in, in, in the class. Yeah. Unless, like, we happen to 
have a conversation about this kind of history, then yeah, we we were we'll be told about uh about this kind of uh trivia uh trivial uh facts. But in the syllabus, we 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 in the music education that we get most of uh most of the time we just follow the syllabus and this knowledge are are not are being focused or emphasized in uh as part of the syllabus itself. Yeah. yeah. And and it's sad because then they only get it going back to the first thing that we th- we were talking about just now. It they only get it from the aesthetical point of view. Yes. The aesthetics just on the surface. Yeah. And and then just wanted to ask, uh, since we're here, you know, relating to all this music education, what do you think about? Is it only about performance? Thing? There was this uh amazing violinist, Kaori Miyazono. She passed away not recently. I'm not sure when, but she passed away from cancer. And she. She's not a prodigy when it comes to playing violin, but she's a great violin player. But her problem was that she doesn't like being under that shadow. So what happened was one of the famous stories about her was that she played uh, Mozart's, was it Mozart's? Kutzer number two or something like that. But it's not at all Mozart. It's like the listeners were like, wait, this is not even Mozart. Is she playing in, in a Bach way? No, she's playing in a Beethoven way, very angry. No, she's mm. very... But it's not. It's just her way. Yeah. And, and you know, some would say, some would argue that that is a jazz perspective, you know? Yeah. yeah like, like what you talked about, like, everybody has to play the notes exactly right according to, like, if you don't know what Bach sound like in, in his shallow suite, so you refer to Yo-Yo Ma. And if you don't know Yo-Yo Ma's uh, version, then you listen to Michel Maisky, or he moves it this way or that way. In, in the end, you would still be under the shadow of that player. Yes. So what what do you think about it? Is, is that a bad thing? Is that a good thing? Because the thing about this Kaori Miyazono, she never, I, I don't know if she never did, but she just rarely doesn't win competitions because she doesn't play according to the score. Not because of wrong notes, wrong melody, wrong rhythm. It's just wrong style. So what do you think about that? Uh, actually, thanks for sharing about that. Uh, this reminds me a lot about Lang Lang. Mm. Uh, when I first uh watch his playing of uh La Campanella. Uh if if you don't mind, can you just like share a bit about who Lang Lang is for the listeners that do not know? Yeah, so Lang Lang is actually a, a very famous pianist from, from China and he's considered as one of the most famous pianists uh in, in the world right now. Um and he plays a lot of like the, the very virtuosic uh pieces and one of the pieces I, I would like to, to share that, that he played in, in one of his uh, performances is uh, La Comunella by, by uh, Franz Liszt. And it's actually a very, 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 very challenging, very, very futuristic uh, piece. Mm-hmm. And I've actually watched uh, a few, few pianists that has played the same piece close to Perfection. Close to perfection, but they, if you are tedious enough, you, you may find, if you are, uh, if you are thorough enough, you might find like one or two mistakes because it's a very, very difficult and challenging piece. And the way Lang Lang played this piece in his performance, uh, this is, this sparked some, some debates as well, like, because he added some, some of his very own spins into the piece itself, which 
essentially change the way that the piece sounds and uh, some of the viewers they, they, they interpret it as his way of like maybe avoiding the, the most difficult parts of the of the piece itself but the way I see it is actually the audiences that he plays like actually I, I don't I don't really see a, a problem in either Lang Lang's uh, performance or the violinist that you you talk about uh, what's the name again? Kaori Miyazono uh, Kaori Miyazono uh-huh. like there's nothing wrong with their playing like my understanding is that this is a kind of showmanship this of course we are, we are looking at the uh, classical music playing but when we look at the, the jazz playing it's a, a completely different story like it, it's an opposite to, to to the way people look at the classical playing because mm-hmm. like classical playing I think most of the uh, audiences they would expect you to play as similar as possible to the recordings mm-hmm. that are playing in their mind you know yeah, yeah. But, but in jazz if you play the exact thing uh, uh, the exact same thing to the the, the, the one playing in their mind you will be criticized for for uh, not adding your own spins to it. Yeah. So actually, it's it's about the kind of audiences that are watching the that particular performances. Because to be honest, if uh if you put the jazz audiences into listening to the the version of La Caminera that Lang Lang played, they might receive it very positively. Yeah. But that there, there, there is also a, a chance of them not accepting it because is it is a, a a classical piece, you know. So I think this is should I consider it as a as a stereotype, you know? Like it, it's a it's a very very unchangeable kind of impression people have on classical music. So if you are playing a, a a classical piece, then you you should be playing in in this way, this way, this way, and. If you don't play uh, ac- according to, to the how the score the, is the, the, to how the score is, then you're technically playing it, uh, basically playing it wrong. Yeah. According to the audiences, but the way I understand is that some composers they do write specific like instructions in in, in mm. playing their music, mm. but actually there are many of them. It's just the score that you you can refer to. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one is the original that we yeah. are looking at? Yeah. So, so, so this is maybe this might be something that that uh like maybe you guys can 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 think about, like, which one is the the original and and is the original even the original uh, version that that you are listening to? Yeah. So is, is seventy canons actually seventy canons? Yeah. Or is that an exaggeration? <laughs> yeah. And uh, actually, in my opinion, this this kind of uh like mindset people have on uh, classical music or jazz music is actually part of the culture that, that we are looking at, you know? Yeah. The, the reason why they have this kind of culture, uh, the reason why a culture is, is a culture itself is because people have been, have been doing it uh, yeah. the, the same way. Yeah. So uh, that's why uh, in, in classical music, they, they do have this kind of culture where like, we we play according to the original playing or yeah. like the original score, mm. and and in 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 jazz playing we we have this uh, culture of 
improvising and yeah. and or like like uh like quoting from other song uh, other pieces you know mm. so uh i think it, this this all trace back to the the culture that that we are in and and this is going to be a debate uh, that that is not going to end yeah i i don't think this this kind of debate <laughs> is is going to end but as a as a music student uh like who 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 is finishing his his very last semester mm-hmm. i grew to learn that actually that we, we we should open our minds and accept uh as many as many different perspectives as possible because music itself it has endless uh possibilities we can mix and match uh a, a few existing uh musical pieces and create uh, and and from from this musical pieces that that we combine we can create a, a, a entirely new musical piece so we 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 shouldn't bind ourselves into a a very fixed impression on mm-hmm. on a certain thing we should always accept different uh the varieties you know uh about one about one thing yeah so that we can really create something that is totally different and 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 no one has ever seen that before this is what creativity is about you know yeah yeah i like that you said that about um it's not that i like it it's just that it's very true what you said about those uh the those kind of views towards the classical people yeah that um conventional i i would go as far to say it's a conservative view yes. because it's always like you said it's a discussion between uh the very very conservative mindset versus the very very liberal mindset where yes. like, we should actually just be in the middle yes you correct. know and i the best response i've had to this was um dr david chin uh dr ang's friend he actually gave a talk in class uh, many months ago many months ago way before covid uh he actually specializes he has a doctorate in bach studies not classical not baroque not romantic bach studies and once every 3 years he would participate or i don't know perform i don't know participate as in perform or like um administer or whatever yeah. uh bach festivals oh, uh okay. in 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 leipzig in 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 germany oh, yeah. it happens every 4 years or every 3 years i can't remember and he would always say like there's a you know there's the standard conventional uh, orchestra slot the solo slot the what do you call concerto slot yeah. and then there's a jazz slot so i was asking him like what do you think about the jazz slot and he was like asking me like what example can you give so just at the top of my head this is the same <laughs> semester that we took uh jazz theory at the top <laughs> of my head so imagine finishing off that last chord of claire de lune with an it's an e it's in funny mistake it's an a flat major okay yeah so imagine just have having that last chord as an a flat major 9 flat 7 and he I swear to you he cringed and he just like looked away for 2 seconds and then he asked what does it matter how uh, I see it I might be revolted by it some people might be might consider it a perversion you know yeah, because yeah. it's so individualized it's so it's so distorted from how it's originally supposed to be but it's about you so yeah. the conventional people that sees uh, that, that that's in the classical field they would just think that it's a perversion but he said on top of that there is still i don't know thousands of people that still went for that bach 
jazz slot okay. and watch yeah. and and he didn't even explain it to me because he doesn't even want to go <laughs> so that's fine it's and it's fine but you know i i think that's the important thing is that it's it's fine yeah how he sees it how we see it yeah and yeah i i i ha- i really do agree with you how just say that's really cool how you think you know yeah, be yeah. more uh open to different flavors Yes, correct. Of of these kinds of food. it's the same food but it's different flavors that people add on to it. Yeah. And I respect that so much and I feel like uh a lot of people at least in Malaysia I don't know maybe it's our circle is so uh small yeah. or it could be just repetitively the same people that we meet. Yes, correct. but actually it seems to be going around that you know if you are wrong then you're wrong if you're right then you're right. Yeah. And there's always this extreme views. Going to the last question I would ask in this right. podcast. What does this all mean for, for those juniors that uh, realize that they can't really do much after their degrees, right? They find that maybe, I don't know, they're not as great as other performers or they came in and they wanted to do performance but then they realized, wait, music is so much more than this. So how do you think that this path would be allocated for these kind of people that want to go into music research what what should be the first thing that they look into change their mindset or you know read a lot actually in, instead of saying that uh, asking asking them to change a mindset I would prefer uh, to to ask them to be more proactive in participating different musical events and because actually as a as a music student, we are always being give uh given the very stereotypical uh, impressions that oh after we finish our degree we are we are going to like either perform or like just be a music teacher and and that's all you know and and after we entered the the uh, after we entered university then only we realized that there's actually more that to it yeah. so the. The advice that I would give is that try to try to make yourself get exposed to to uh, opportunities, and I think the the musical events that are uh, in Malaysia it it actually happens all the time. Like uh, it ranges uh ranges from like uh, concerts, mm-hmm. uh, competitions. There are also like uh, festivals, and and. Like from from big to small, you just uh don't ever lock yourself in a room just to practice for like tomorrow's lesson and stuff. You know, uh, <laughs> it the the important thing is to get yourself like exposed to to different areas, so that you could one day find that there is something that might suit your interests and, and you would like to, to uh, you know, understand more and, and probably this could be your, be your career after you, after you graduate. And I, I have to say, the, the, the things that I'm doing right, right now, I actually, before uh, entering uh, university, I imagine myself to be focusing more in uh, the, the very production-based uh, career. But... After my second year, uh, taking part in a exchange program with a uh, with a group of Japanese students from Kumamoto, uh, Kyushu, mm-hmm. it actually uh, 
made me realize that, oh, actually doing research could be uh, a, a possible career path for me as well. Because, because in, in that particular program, uh, we, we, we also do the things that we, uh, we, we do on, uh, in, in a research. Like, uh, we will come up with a, a problem statement. Before we take part, we, are, we, we will state about uh, our views being uh, living in, in a multicultural mm-hmm. society. And after we state our problem statement, we'll be, we'll be distributed into, we will get distributed into a few different groups. Uh, that are designated uh, for students that are having the very similar uh, problem statements. Yeah. And after having our problem statements done, we'll start doing research. Uh, we'll go uh, have interviews with uh, people uh, on their views on... Uh, Different topics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and especially... Um, their opinions mm-hmm. in uh, living in a multicultural society. Mm-hmm. So, after doing all this, and, and uh, like we came up with a presentation, and we came up with a conclusion and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, that actually made me realize that eh, this is the kind of thing I actually enjoyed doing a lot. And so, this is the way I, I discovered my interest in, in doing uh, music research. So that, that, that's why I, I, I have to un- emphasize again, uh, look for opportunities to take part in, in different events so that even if you don't really feel that you have uh, any particular interest, uh, uh, you don't have any interest in a very particular thing, by taking part in, in different events and, and like at, uh, while at the same time establishing connections with other people, you may find your interest uh, from from either one of the the events that you take part in. Actually, this is this is also how we discover our interests in the first place. You know, mm-hmm. we don't we don't really know our interests if we are being locked in a, in a room for like fifty days or so after being born. You know, mm-hmm. it it don't come to us themselves. We need yeah. to go and find them. Yeah, this isn't like Krypton where everybody has that. A predetermined, predestined uh, work or job in their yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have to look for it. Like, diamonds don't get themselves discovered. You know, we have to discover the diamonds. We have to dig up and, and, and uh, examine. After all the tedious work, then only we discover, oh, this is a diamond, you know. Yeah, so, so just go out and enjoy yourself. The schoolwork is... Not of course they should be prioritized, but you also, you should also prioritize looking for your interests. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a very important part of uh, studying in university in the first place, actually. Yeah, and and that's awesome. It's just I just wanted to add on a bit about that when you say like schoolwork should be prioritized. I think what a lot of people uh, tend to overlook is that sometimes that schoolwork that you just overlook and just think, ah, oh, it's not that important. That could be the one. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like how you were talking about your Utah program. Yes, and, yes, At yes. first, it could have just been one of those programs that you were pushed to go to. Yes. Of course, I, I know, like, you volunteered and you wanted to go, so that's great. But if the tables were turned yeah. and you were pushed to go, it could have still been the reason that you are where you are right now. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, that schoolwork might also be one of the paths that 
lead to your future future goals future ambition i don't know yes correct yeah. yes. and you know uh talking about schoolwork that is also one one particular subject that we have taken the uh contemporary music language that's the schoolwork oh. that actually pushed us uh and and made us discover uh, our interest in in like this very advanced course yeah yeah that, that is also the thing that that actually uh motivates me uh motivated me a lot in mm. uh learning about uh the the different combination of chords and and especially in in uh the the chord progressions in its very very core it's actually very simple it's all about two five ones <laughs> no it, it's a it's a very basic chord progression chord two to chord five to chord one yeah. but from that very simple chord progression it could actually mix up uh, a, a lot of different ways yeah. shaping up uh, uh, music and uh, yeah that, that's actually what I learned from, from, from that subject is that on top of 251 we can do a 251 on the 2 itself you know yeah. like, like, uh, from, like, like what I said just now like we, we take different, uh, different existing things uh-huh. and mix it up to create a new thing yeah yeah, like no joke. Actually, that class could have just like been summarized into you enter the first class for one minute. Okay, so actually the whole topic is to just look for the concept of two five one <laughs> in your score analysis. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, ladies and gentlemen, as usual, if you do have anything that you want to ask or anything that you particularly don't agree don't agree with, you can shoot me an email at aminbob13 at yahoo.com my email will be in the description of this podcast you will, you can ask us questions I can ask those questions to Chan Long in future episodes or I can have him answer and relate to you personally thank you so much for listening and thank you Chan Long for being on this podcast yeah thanks for having me I enjoyed today's session a lot yeah so and I know for a fact that this is only like what 10% of what we usually discuss yes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bobby Rose and thank you for listening.